excitement in this auditorium. I mean, it's been filled with, with songs and, uh, you know, joyful children and even a hearty chorus of amens on several mornings. It's been great. We've had Vacation Bible School, in case you're wondering what I'm talking about. And I, I love VBS. I mean, I love to see the kids come. They're, they're excited to be here. They're joyful. Uh, they're interacting with one another. They're, they're raising their hands, right? Say, call on me, call on me. Even when they don't know what they're going to say, they call on me, call on me. And uh, it's so much fun. And we, we have just had a tremendous week together. The atmosphere has certainly been vibrant, and the theme this year has been so practical, Soldiers of Christ Arise. And the teachers have all done just a wonderful job, I think, and applying that theme. The theme, of course, uh, has a great relevance, and uh, talking about the Christian armor from Ephesians chapter 6. Well, I, I taught the teenage class, Gabe and I and Stephen, actually, all three of us, and so you know, we just had a great time with that. I just couldn't get it out of my mind. I told Gabe, I said, you know, I, I'm going to preach on this theme this morning. And I'm going to start with a different text uh, in, in 2 Timothy 2, if you want to turn there in just a moment. We'll read it, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I want to talk this morning about how to be a good soldier. And Hugh, thanks for helping us out. Can I set in the mood with that? All of these songs that Hugh has led us in really speak to that concept that we are soldiers of Christ and what it means to be in the Lord's army and what it means to fight the good fight of faith and to take up the different aspects of armor. So we're going to look at that this morning. We're sure glad you're here. Uh, we have guests with us again today. We welcome you. We're glad you're in our assembly. We hope that you're edified and uplifted, not just by the singing or as we commune together or pray, but certainly by the word of God. And that we can leave here this morning stronger, better, better equipped, ready to go out into the world and to fight the good fight of faith. So thanks so much for coming and being a part of our worship assembly this morning. Second Timothy chapter two, beginning in verse one. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then he says in verse 3, you must therefore endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one is entangled and engaged in warfare that entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him, who has enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. And so he actually uses three analogies here to talk about our commitment to Christ and what it means to be a follower of Christ, and what it means for you and I to serve him. He uses the idea here of a farmer that plants, of an athlete that competes, but he talks about the soldier and how to be a good soldier. So we want to focus on that. What does it mean to be a good soldier? There are five things I thought of 
that when I think of the military and I think of a good soldier in the military, what makes them a good soldier? And I think those same five qualities can apply as soldiers of Christ and will make us good soldiers. Number one, a good soldier obeys orders. We understand that in the military, there is a pecking order. There is, a, there is rank. And there's almost always someone that outranks you, isn't there, that you, that you answer to. And even if you're a five-star general, you answer to the commander-in-chief. And we understand that that's the case. And that, that separates military life from civilian life. Well, we have a commander-in-chief. And a good soldier obeys the orders from his commander-in-chief. And our commander-in-chief is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ said, when he gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That Jesus has the authority. Jesus rules in the affairs of men in heaven and on earth. In fact, John in the Revelation said that he is the ruler of, over the kings of the earth. And so he's the ruler. He is the one that enlisted us, and he is the ruler over the kings of the earth. Not only that, he is the head of the church. I mean, just in everything, in heaven and on earth. He's the commander. In fact, one of the songs, Hugh, that you let us in, spoke of that commander. That's a scriptural concept. Jesus is our commander and so all of us here this morning regardless if we're a pastor or a preacher or we're a deacon or we're a parent young or old been a christian 50 years or five minutes makes no difference we all answer to the commander in chief and we answer to the elders who are our spiritual shepherds we must understand that as well. We answer to them. We are to obey them. Obey those that have the rule over you and be submissive. They watch for your souls as those who must give account and let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Now, the Bible plainly says that, that we are to obey them. They, they have the rule over us. Peter talks about in 1 Peter 5 that rule, the elders are to rule over us. They're to take the oversight. They're, they're to do that over the local flock. Now, sometimes I have seen among our brethren through the years that elders try to take a rule they don't have over other flocks. Not, not supposed to do that. We have elders here. We call them pastors or shepherds, and they watch out for the flock. They don't watch over the flock of some other congregation. They watch over this flock. That's a full-time job, isn't it, guys? Just watch over this flock. And they do a good job of that. And they have to answer for that. And so my responsibility as a member of this church family is to submit my will to them and to obey them. Now, sometimes something will come up and say, well, that's just a matter of judgment. You know, that always intrigues me because, you know, the only things the elders decide are matters of judgment. Isn't it? I mean, everything else has been decided. The elders then decide, well, I wonder what kind of music we'll have, instrument or a cappella. Commander-in-chief already decided that. All right, I wonder when we'll have the Lord's Supper. 
maybe Wednesday, Thursday. No, that's a, they, they don't have to decide. That's been decided. Uh, well, I wonder what elements we use. That's been decided. I mean, don't you see? The work of the church, that's been decided. And so all doctrinal matters have already been decided. Now they have the responsibility of taking those decisions the Lord has already made and has issued to them the responsibility of seeing they're carried out. I understand that. But there are ways of implementing that. And so decisions have to be made for the greater good of everybody. And sometimes one or two people or a few people may say, well, you know, why are we meeting the night at five? I'd rather meet at six. You know, if we all came when we wanted to, it'd be at five, it'd be at six, it'd be at seven, it'd be not at all. I mean, so someone's got to make a decision. And so when you have elders, so there's just a lot of things. I mean, that's just a few simple examples that we obey them that have the rule over us. Now, somehow, and Hugh, I need, I need a little instruction on PowerPoint because I went online this morning because I had thought of a new idea I put in my lesson. I thought, oh, I don't have that on the PowerPoint. So I went on and put it on, but I, it was my mistake because I didn't get it on. I thought of something after I sent the sermon notes to Shelley. And, I, and, and, and the verse is there, but you can look at it if you want to. It's Ephesians 6, 1. And it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, we just had VBS children. We talked about soldiers of Christ to rise. I'm talking to you this morning about being a good soldier. Now, I'm talking to all the kids that can understand me now. All right? If you're going to be a good soldier and you put on that Christian armor, you know what you do? You listen to mom and dad. Right? Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. Appreciate that. That's right. Children, obey your parents. But it says in that verse, what? Three simple words that are very important. In the Lord. Why do we do it? Because it's the right thing to do in the Lord. Okay? We do it because we're trying to please the Lord. Because we're, we want to be a good Christian soldier. Because we want to obey the commander-in-chief. And he says to do it in the Lord. Now, the parents are all glad I'm talking to little children. But we got some here that are not little children because you're 16, <clears throat> 17, maybe 18. Smart. Graduated magna cum laude. I don't even know what that means. I didn't even get there, okay? But you know what? I remember Brother Haley one time said when he was talking about this, he said, you know, I always told my kids that as long as they were under my roof, and I put the meal on the table and provided the housing and provided their living that they had to obey my rules. He said when they got tired of that, I'd carry their bags to the sidewalk and they're on their own. Ooh. Hey, Brother Hart, Haley was a hard guy. Yeah, he was a little bit. You know, that's not all bad. So we got some of you young guys going off to college. Yeah, you got scholarships. You're smart, everything. Guess what? I suspect... Mom and dad still paying the way. That's just a wild guess, but probably. So, you know, that, that obedience and respect doesn't end. Now, hopefully, you've got a good relationship, and you can talk about some differences and come to a common ground. But when does that honor end? My mom was 84 when she passed away. 
So I would have been 64, I think, 65, something, I don't know, long in there. I still honored her. When I went to her house, I felt an obligation to do what she wanted me to do in her house and respect that. I'm just not sure that ever really totally ends. You know why? Because it's in the Lord. It's in the Lord that we need to do that. Well, that's just a little extra we throw in for free, and I hope that's helpful. Obey, submit. A good soldier, you see, obeys orders. Well, what else does a good soldier do? Well, a good soldier is faithful. We need to be faithful. 2 Timothy 2, 2 talks about faithful. This is seen in, in patience, that we have patience. A good soldier endures hardship. Uh, Paul endured 2 Corinthians 11. I'm not going to take the time to read that, verses 23 through 28. Paul talks about all the perils that he faced and all the problems he faced and all the challenges that, that, that he had to endure. Paul was patient. He, he put up with those. He dealt with those. He endured those. And if we're going to be a good soldier, we're called upon to be faithful and to, and to be patient. It's seen in his priorities. Because we seek to please our commander, Matthew 6 and verse 24, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. See, our priorities then keep us from being distracted from duty. We're on duty. We're on duty. We're on guard. We're like this sentry that is watching out. You can't be distracted. You have to have your priorities right. It's seen in his practice. He guards the truth. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20, he told Timothy, Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and the contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. We have to guard the truth. We have to be faithful to the word of God. And we give honor to our commander-in-chief. It is we give glory to him. It is him that we are coming to honor. And we do not do anything that is going to bring disgrace or dishonor to him. And so 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul told Timothy, be an example to the believers in every way, whether it's in word, whether it's in your behavior, whatever it is, in your purity, in everything that you are to be a good example. And so our practice must be in line with our preaching and with our profession. You know, some people change their profession to fit their practice. Let's change our practice to fit our profession and our preaching. That's what we need to do. The, the, the Marines that have the expression semper fidelis, semper fi, means always faithful am i a good soldier am i always faithful thirdly a good soldier knows his equipment he understands his equipment and that's really been the focus of our vacation bible school this week is understanding that if you like to turn your bibles we'll read for the entire group though we've looked at it this week with the children quite a few times ephesians 6 and beginning in verse 10 and here the Apostle Paul uses this great metaphor. 
Ephesians 6 and verse 10, he said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore. And now he lists here these six pieces of equipment or armor that we are to put on. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, this is a metaphor. The weapons we're talking about here are not literal, they're not carnal weapons. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Our weapons are not carnal. We don't engage in carnal tactics, in carnal methods. We don't use carnal words. We don't use carnal devices. It's not carnal. Our weapons, you see, are spiritual weapons. And so in Ephesians 6, this whole thing here is an analogy of putting on the armor of God. Now, we talked at length in our vacation Bible school about the Roman soldier and how that he was equipped for battle and why that the Roman soldiers were the best equipped army in the world at that time. And, and they were great soldiers and they were a great fighting force because of the nature of their equipment. And so Paul takes something that the Ephesians have been very familiar with. They were used to seeing Roman soldiers on every street corner. And so as they would look at that, and I, don't you have to believe that these Ephesian Christians, every time they saw a Roman soldier now, they would think about how that related to their spiritual armor. And so then he talks about this spiritual armor, this, this belt of truth, this belt which girds us. It strengthens our core spiritually. It was essential to the Roman soldier as they carried other pieces of equipment and had girded this equipment together and gave him the strength in his core. You know, we understand that kind of an exercise. Anytime you go to work out or, or, or get a fitness test, they talk about strengthening your core. I mean, that's just essential in any field of athletics. Well, this belt was not like a little skinny belt like I got on. It was almost, and you have to be a little bit older than some of these young people to understand that. You know where I'm going with this already, you older ladies. It was almost like a girdle. I mean, it was real, real wide that they wore. And women can remember those days. And, you know, it kind of, I mean, you can lose, look like you lost 10 pounds, right? Just 
fucking to that thing. Well, that's that's really kind of what the belt was like. And you, you've seen a policeman with a thick belt, and what has he got on? I mean, he's got his nightstick, he's, he's got his holster, he's got, what, a can of maize, he's got handcuffs, he's got a flashlight. I think I'm leaving out one thing. He's got a bunch of stuff. Well, you've got, that's, he's got to have that tight, and it's gotta, he's got to have that there to hold everything in place. That's a similar analogy. No, not to the woman wearing the girl, but to the Roman soldier, to the Roman soldier, and the belt of truth. And so we have truth to gird us, and all the rest of the armor is based on truth. Then we put on this breastplate of righteousness, and it protects the soldier from being hit in the vital organs, and especially the heart. Well, we talk about how the heart is central to the Christian's spiritual health. It's vitality. We, we must guard the heart. We must protect the heart. And how do we do it? We do it with righteousness and how do we know righteousness romans 1 16 and 17 it's revealed in the gospel isn't it god is righteous we know right and wrong we know what is righteousness and we put that breastplate on to guard our hearts and then our shoes we put on the shoes of the gospel of peace the roman soldier wore a special type of sandal with spikes in it they gave him a stability and so the roman soldier could plant and he could turn and he could be ready for the battle and these spikes went down into the ground i guess the best analogy we use in bbs is the athlete you take a sprinter especially that's running 100 meters that you got spikes in your shoes. And so why do you need that? Well, when you take off from the starting blocks, you don't want to be slipping. You're going to, you may lose unless you're Usain Bolt. I mean, if you, if you get out of the starting blocks late. And so you got to, those spikes give you that, that stability as you take that first step out of the blocks. And as you go down the straightaway, well, the Roman soldier had those spikes. And so we have these shoes that he calls the shoes of the gospel of peace. They give us stability. The good news provides peace for us. It provides inner stability. And like the messenger that ran to take the good news, then we take the good news to other people and we bring them peace. Then he talks about the shield of faith. See, the devil is firing darts at us all the time. How do we deflect these darts? How do we keep them from hitting us and, and, and hurting us? Then we got the shield of faith. These shields were big. I mean, a Roman soldier could literally crouch down behind them. In fact, could even use them as they were together and like a wall that would protect all of us. Can you think about all of us literally having a shield and, and that we form this wall and we're all behind it? Yeah, that, that's kind of the picture there. So it, it would protect a, I don't know about a garrison of soldiers, but a, a bit of a group of soldiers, whatever the smallest group might be, they'd be marching. And it would protect you individually and ward off those fiery darts. Well, the devil is firing fiery darts, isn't he? Isn't he firing darts at you? I mean, he's firing the darts of envy and jealousy and anger and sexual immorality and, and, and division and gossip. He's firing those darts to try to hit your heart and to try to affect you and to cause you to fall out of ranks. I mean, it was just all kind of hate. Why? You know, you, you get on Facebook and... I, I'm just ashamed sometimes of my brethren that post some things on Facebook. 
I mean, some, some hateful kind of things, judgmental things. You need your shield. <laughs> you say you, you need your shield of faith because faith is the victory that overcomes these darts. First John 5, 4, faith is the victory. It's not just a song. It's actually in the Bible. Faith is the victory. By the way, I told my class, you know, the word Nike's in the Bible. You know, Nike shoes? Because that's the word victory. That's a Greek word, Nike, or Nike, however you pronounce it. And that's, that's a Bible word. And it means victory. So the shoe company chose a pretty good word to name their shoes. When you think about it, they'll take you to victory. Well, better than Nike shoes is a victory of faith that we have by having our shield of faith. And then the helmet of salvation. Hey, you put on that helmet of salvation, and Stephen told the class, you keep it on. You don't take it off. And so you learn what to do to be saved, and you become a Christian. And now you got on that helmet, and that protects your head, because if you get hit in the head, that affects the rest of your body. you got to have the helmet of salvation on. And salvation comes through Christ, doesn't it? And comes through hearing and believing and obeying the Word of God. And then we take the sword of the Spirit. While the sword may be used defensively as you might be in battle, this is an offensive weapon. And this is the only offensive weapon the soldier had. And it's the offensive weapon we have. And we wield it against false doctrine and the enemies of truth. And, and we're not afraid to use it when necessary. A good soldier knows his equipment. You know what? A good soldier engages in battle. He is not retreat in the face of the foe. He is strong, it says here in Ephesians 6.10. He stands fast. He understands that we must fight. A soldier's got to fight. First Timothy 6.12, that we're to fight the good fight of faith. That we understand the nature of this warfare. That this warfare is against the devil. It's against the spiritual wickedness in high places. It's against the enemies of truth. It's against atheists and infidels and agnostics. It's against haters of God. It's against false teachers. And we understand that we must actually fight. And that means we must be dedicated, we must be determined, and we must be driven if we're to be a good soldier. We engage in the battle and a good soldier never ever quits you see the soldier understands why he was enlisted see you're not drafted <laughs> it's not a draft you're you're you enlist it's a decision that each and individual each individual must make it is a personal decision and he knows why he understands who the commander-in-chief is and he wants to serve him and dedicate him. And it's an honor to serve the commander-in-chief. He understands it's necessary to be saved. And so he's persistent. He's persistent. He's not a quitter. The good soldier's not a quitter. When, when the battle gets hot, when, when the enemy is fierce, when the going gets tough, doesn't quit, doesn't give up, doesn't sulk out, leave. The other soldier's behind. He's not a deserter. He doesn't go a wall. He's persistent. The good soldier knows there is a reward that is in place. And in 2 Timothy, Paul writes to this young evangelist to encourage him to be a good soldier. He comes to the end of the book, and he 
reminds him the way that he's lived and what could happen for him too. In verse 6 of 2 Timothy 4, he said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. Paul was a good soldier, wasn't he? He fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, but not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. God calls us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You know, when I was working on this lesson, I was reminded of the fact as you look around in our country today, we, we have kind of an attitude of people that are resistant to the military in different quarters. And I don't want to get political about that, but I, I think that's just kind of the case for different reasons, different reasons. But it occurred to me as I think of this analogy, you know, there are Christians that are resistant to spiritual warfare. They, they, they don't like to talk. You know, in fact, you know there's some churches not, not churches of Christ that I know, but some churches have banned the kind of songs we sing this morning because they have they abound with the metaphors of military warfare. And that's not politically correct today. There's some people that would in our country would love to just to get rid of our military. They don't believe in the military. Now, again, I'm not trying to get political about it, but I'm just, you know, that's a case. Well, Paul played off of that metaphor. So it didn't seem like to me there's anything wrong with it. That we're Christian soldiers. That we're in the Lord's army. I'm singing this morning as I was getting ready. I get into my lesson thinking about it. And I was walking around singing, you know, I'm in the Lord's army. And I said to my wife, do I have the right tune for that? She said, you're not going to sing that, are you? I said, oh, yeah, I am. She said, no, no. So I'm not going to sing it. But we sang that song, I'm in the Lord's army. And you remember the one thing you say, I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. That's a sign of respect and submission and obedience to our commander in chief. We're marching. We're enlisted. We're fighting the good fight of faith. That's what that's about. You know, I think of this congregation, what, 120 years old? Something like that. Been here a long time. You know why we're here this morning and the comforts of this building and with these shepherds and with the good things that we enjoy, it's because a hundred years ago some people fought the fight of faith. And I want to tell you what, if you read the history of Lord's Church in the 1900s and early 1900s and throughout the 20th century in the 1950s, in fact, some of you are old enough to remember some battles that's been fought. But our young people today, they, we take that for granted. We come into a building like this and we're all comfortable and we, we forget that there are gospel preachers. I met Bob Archer yesterday. 32 years, he gave his life, blood, sweat, and tears to being a good soldier of Christ and making a difference here. And there are people that are Christians here today because of Bob Archer. And I can speak of Joanne's dad and others that through the years have fought the good fight of faith. And we should honor them and respect them and appreciate them. And let's don't lay down our swords and lay down our shield and get wimpy. Because as soon as we do, the devil is going to attack us and overtake us. We're in the Lord's army. We need to be good soldiers. 
And so I close this morning. I don't know who is the author of this is. I'll put it in the teenage book, but I want to read it. And I think it speaks to the attitude and the spirit that I've been talking about. This author said, I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. The Lord Jesus is my commanding officer. The Bible is my code of conduct. Faith and prayer in the word are my weapons of my warfare. I have been taught by the Holy Spirit, trained by experience, tried by adversity, and tested by fire. I am a volunteer in this army, and I am enlisted for eternity. I will either retire in this army at the end of time, or I will die in it. But I will not get out, sell out, be talked out, or pushed out. I am faithful, reliable, capable, and dependable. And if God needs me, I am there. If he needs me to teach a class, to teach my neighbor, to help someone in need, or just sit there and learn, he can use me because I'm there. I'm a soldier. I'm not a baby. I don't need to be pampered, petted, primed up, pumped up, picked up, or pepped up. I'm a soldier. No one has to call me, remind me, write me, visit me, entice me, or lure me. I'm a soldier. I'm not a wimp. I'm in place saluting the king, obeying his orders, praising his name, and building his kingdom. No one has to send me flowers, gifts, food, cards, candy, or give me handouts. I don't need to be cuddled, cradled, cared for, or catered to. I am committed. I cannot have my feelings hurt bad enough to turn me around. I cannot be discouraged enough to turn me aside. I cannot lose enough to cause me to quit. When Jesus called me into this army, I had nothing. And if I end up with nothing, I will still come out ahead and I will still win. God has supplied my needs. I am more than a conqueror. I will always triumph. The devil cannot defeat me. People cannot delusion, delusion me. Weather cannot weary me. Sickness cannot stop me. Battles cannot beat me. Money cannot buy me. Governments cannot silence me. And hell cannot handle me. I'm a soldier. Even death cannot destroy me. For when my commander calls me from this battlefield, he will promote me and he will allow me to rule with him. I am a soldier in the army, and I am marching to claim victory. I will not give up. I will not turn around. I am a soldier, heaven-bound. Here I stand. How about you? Amen? Would you be a soldier in the army of the Lord? Would you accept him by faith, turn from your sins and repentance, Confess allegiance of his name as the Son of God and be buried in the waters of baptism. Have the blood of the great commander wash away your sins and then take up the Christian armor and begin to march with the rest of us, to march to victory all the way to heaven's gates. Would you come as we stand and while we sing? Thank you, Father, for the